I'm Jair Ramirez. I'm interning at KGNU through a Denver Public Schools launch program. Today I have the great pleasure and uh, honor to interview uh, Will Parkio and uh, Chris Bowers Castillo from uh, the band Kiltro. Thank you for taking the time to have a chat with me today. How are both of you doing today? Doing great, man. Thanks for having us. Hi there. I like being able to talk to you guys, you know? Like, it feels like I'm talking to celebrities. <laughs> uh, as a young person, you know? It's nice to be able to talk to someone as big as you guys, so. Thanks for taking the time, and, you know, I think it's uh, really exciting to hear, you know, about people who are involved in KGNU and taking the time and the fact that you're taking the initiative as a high school student to be at KGNU, I think is that's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. I want to start off by saying uh, I love the new album, Underbelly. As a Hispanic person who grew up in the States, your unique blend of bilingual music really speaks to me. And some of my favorite tracks are Crazy and What Gives. One of my tasks as a KGNU intern was to review an album from a local artist. And like I just immediately chose you guys. But before we jump deeper into the album, I'd love to hear more about the band and their, their origins. So um, how did everyone meet in the, the band? Will and I went to CU together. That's where we met. We started just hanging out, listening to a lot of music together, and making kind of weird sound stuff with SD404s, which mm-hmm. is like this sampler. 2013, maybe? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, something like that. And then after that, I lived in Chile for a few years mm-hmm. and was writing stuff there. And then Will went to Vietnam to teach English. And later on, we kind of, you know, we met back up. I'd been doing the Kiltro thing solo for a couple of years. Mm. And then we decided to, you know, work together. And yeah, and pretty soon we met Michael, and who was our first drummer. And then we got Fez Garcia as well, who's mm. been drumming with us too. And yeah, so it's great having two drummers. It's pretty, it's a lot of fun for the live shows. It grew pretty organically. I mean, yeah. at first, you know, Chris was doing a bunch of the open mics around London, because he's there as well for a little while, mm. and then also Denver. And that kind of spawned into him doing a bunch of looping stuff. Then he started to send me some tracks when I was abroad, and uh, I was getting homesick and lonely and ready to come home. And that was my reason. And, you know, that was the band for a little while, and then we started to play more and more shows out. And I was playing in another band with Michael, and it just grew organically to, you know, we just needed more coverage, you know, like more dynamic drums. And so, I mean, it just kind of slowly grew from there and, you know, kind of had a, a nice organic slow build all right that's great to hear honestly you guys have been traveling a lot right huh so i heard uh, chris is from uh, chile what part of chile did you come from so my mom is from santiago mm. and then i lived in valparaiso where are you from my mom's side is from guadalajara and my dad's oh. side is from oaxaca oh awesome very cool i have a cousin who's in oaxaca so chris um as a chilean uh, who moved to the states how has this uh, influenced you in your music and as a artist in general I mean, so I was back and forth a lot. I was raised a lot in Colorado as well, mostly, and then would go down to Chile and spend, you know, summers there. And then I ended up living in Valparaiso for probably about, you know, three and a half, four years mm. or something. But yeah, it's definitely been an influence in my life. I think growing up, I listened, obviously, to a lot of Western music, bands like Deer Hunter and Radiohead. And, mm. and then, you know, in, in South America, it was Chilean artists like Tito Jara and then Violeta Parra, mm. Inti Jimani, who were really wonderful bands from the 60s and 70s in Chile. And so they were really important uh, influence, I think, for me. It was interesting because it was, it was music I was very familiar with from when I was little. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, in living in, in Chile again, like, I had a different perspective being a little older to sort of, like, understand the music and the historical context and everything. And I think that informed a lot of the writing in that era was just coming to, you know, know those artists more intimately and 
Yeah, and it was. I think at the end of the day, it wasn't even like an active effort to mix styles so much as just making music that it was influencing me at the time, and that you know the music that I basically wanted to hear. And I would, I'd hear all these songs in three and with lots of Quaker backbeats mm-hmm. to them. You know, uh, this was kind of ingrained in what you're doing mm-hmm. from the start. You know, it's yeah. kind of come out of you unintentionally. As a young artist or like someone who's going to college as a major in music, I definitely want cool. to explore. I definitely have a heritage where, like, I can blend music styles like uh, how you have, Chris. Well, I think a, a few bands that have been really uh, exciting to watch recently, especially in the local scene, have yeah. been, like, Ila Bamba, Mocochetes have been really great. Mm. Um, Ritmo Cascabel has been great to watch them as well. Don Chicharron as well. Don Chicharron, Vic and the Narwhals. All those guys are doing some really great work. It's really cool to see, you know, the liveliness of the scene. Mm-hmm. What are you guys' musical influences in general? Well, I mean, I guess to kind of tie it into what you're talking about, being a music student, you know, trying to find your career there. I was really lucky. I went to uh, East High School and I graduated 2009. And I was lucky because my jazz band teacher was this guy named Keith Oxman. And uh, Keith Oxman is a great tenor player. We were so lucky because he would, you know, besides his classes being really, I don't know, immersive and, you know, really powerful he would invite us to come see him play shows. So as teenagers, he'd take us out to El Chapultepec, oh. which was a part of the time. And uh, they'd let us in as teenagers as long as we stood by the stage in the bathroom. So they knew that we weren't trying to sneak drinks or anything. And so I, um, you know, I, I love jazz to this day, but that was a really formative time for me because I got to see what it was like to be on a stage, to hang out in a green room and hang out with the jazz musicians. I had just my eyes wide open. I mean, the stories that these jazz musicians would tell were hilarious and amazing. That was hugely formative for me. So, I mean, that's definitely what shaped my desire to want to perform and be on stage and pursue music, for sure. Besides that, I mean, you know, he opened my eyes to the jazz world. But then after that, you know, I definitely pursued lots of weird, cool indie music that I was into Mm. from bands like Animal Collective, uh, Grizzly Bear, you know, a lot of Deer Hunter as well. Mm-hmm. Deer Hunter is great. Yeah. Devendra Banehart was probably one of the biggest musical inspirations of mine for a long time. I wanted to grow a beard just like him when I was <laughs> 16, but I couldn't. I still can't grow a beard. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's coming in. It's coming in. It's coming in. Yeah, man, I mean, I, I feel very much like the product of the um, Denver Public Schools music programs, and I'm really a... Uh, really happy about that you know i took audio engineering for a while and definitely have been going into like anything musical aspect right and i'm more on the the mixing side but i definitely love how the dps music classes have definitely been informative and like they they're really like challenging they help you prepare for like a career in that aspect you know where were you uh studying i was at cc early college Actually, back in the day, so Oxman was able to organize some recording sessions for the East High School Jazz Band to go record over there. My audio teacher was talking about it. I did hear about that. So that's a great program. I'm so glad to hear that you're a part of that. I loved every minute, every hour of that class. As I said earlier, I chose Underbelly mainly because of my Hispanic heritage, and the music spoke to me, and it was showing me a side of South American-inspired music that I haven't heard of before. You guys have such a distinct sound. In your music, um, how was the uh, recording process through all that? I I was researching a bit and saw that you guys were doing this during quarantine. Like, do you recording all this and producing all this in quarantine? Yeah, it was basically just all done at, at my house, mm. except for some drums 
that were recorded in a studio, and I think a few vocals that were recorded at our buddy Kyle's house, who did who mixed a few of the songs. But yeah, it was by and large done at my place in quarantine. It's just different because I think the first time around we had this, we were bringing the songs out a lot and playing out a lot and learning our sort of live chops. And then obviously that didn't really exist uh, during quarantine, obviously. So it was just a matter of coming up with ideas and then just following them to their own conclusions. And I think that made for a more interesting approach in some ways, in the sense that when you start off with a weird idea and you take it to its conclusion, sort of regardless of a kind of, you know, interaction or dialogue with the perceived audience. And so, yeah, it was a lot more of a, in some ways, a more kind of personal process and less mm. about stories than Creature the Habit was. And experimental, too. A little more experimental, for sure, yeah. Chris was really delving into learning Ableton and production and doing a lot more of that rather than outsourcing yeah. that. And so there's a yeah. bunch of time to really mess with plugins and different recording techniques as well. Yeah, loops and weird samples we got that we would pass through effects and a lot of like auto-generative uh, ambient stuff that we recorded like a snippet and then just keep kind of recording like bar length loops and seeing what where a pattern could emerge. And some of those ended up being like little percussive patterns or little melodic patterns. So a lot of it was kind of pieced together almost like a pointillist painting or something, yeah. you know, on like Creatures, which was I think a lot more of a traditional process in the sense that those songs were first and foremost written on a guitar and obviously the looping was an important part of that as well and i definitely used it as a comp compositional tool but this time around was inspired by the process that i used to write wanako which was definitely the first underbelly song ever written and i was a little tired of writing just with one instrument and i wanted to like to employ an unconventional way of writing songs and, Sh shorter uh, loops yeah shorter loops and more sort of, modal Going major exactly, minor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of kind of weird stuff in that song, and it feels live. It's still one of my favorite songs that we play out. I mean, I was such a fun time playing that song. But yeah, I think just because it's sort of it's all pieced together from all these different samples and effects. I think it's important when you're writing new stuff, and I hope to take this into the future as we start, you know, writing our next thing, is just giving yourself the kind of constraints that force you to be, like, vulnerable, you know? You create a box, and you're like, all right, this time, these are the rules. And I do, we do it for, like, each individual song, too, where it's like, Buchito started off as, let's make a cumbia song in seven, and then it became this story about the, you know, my cat and, and all this other stuff. But yeah, we were learning a lot as we were doing. I think that's what is the important thing, because you capture something essential and real when, when you're in that place of like, how do I do this? Yeah. It's made for an interesting time to translate those songs live, you know, and feel them out. There's a, a moment, too, where it's like, there's this idea when you write the structure of a song, be it A, B, A, or whatever it is, on guitar, I mean, the, the bones and the anatomy of the song is pretty straightforward and it makes sense but you know at first it took us a second to kind of wrap our heads around some of these underbelly songs because they were more collage-esque you know there's conversation like well what are the bones of these actually like when we strip down all that stuff 
we were trying to figure that out. And of course, really stoked to see that well, the bones are strong and they're all there. And then that made the process of translating them live, like a process of getting in touch with the essence of these songs, you know, like what is the fundamental nature of a lot of these songs? You know, like what is this thing that the song needs and if it doesn't have it, it's, it feels like a completely different thing. I love all these tracks in so many ways. Like each track is so unique. Thank you for the compliment. I think, you know, long form music is an interesting thing. Nowadays, it's all about singles and bands mm-hmm. are, you know, very much operating on that model of like, we got to get, you know, as many singles out as frequently as possible. I think that one thing we've been interested in that, since the beginning that I want to stick with is the idea of like, you know, even if it's a small, you know, like an EP of four songs or whatever, to have there be some sort of cohesion and some sort of journey that you go through from start to finish, or at least for it to feel like it's a world that you're getting bits and pieces or a story that's taking place in a larger space. If the songs are like kind of referring to a larger space or something somehow. I think it's been a very detailed process on this one. Our first album was as well. We, we definitely went back in a bunch of times and added a lot of little details and tracks. I think our mixing engineer was pretty tired of us by the end. <laughs> by the end of it, but, um, we, we, we played jokes on him too because we'd mix some tracks and add some stuff. He'd be like, oh, you guys added even more? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's one time where we, uh, we know he doesn't like bees and, and insects in general. So we got a bunch of samples of bees flying around and insects crawling, and he put them subtly in the songs to see if he could hear them and notice them. Well, we also named them bees in all caps. Yeah, exactly. So you saw the names. Yeah. Like, do you really want the bees, guys? Do you really, do you, do you really want them in there? But, you know, I, I think for us, too, I mean, I think how, how the, a lot of the blend, too, of, like, that the Western music that we like, some, like, deer hunter and stuff, it's just like that shoegaze wall of sound thing, you know, where, like, we just love you know a, a lot of noise and so there's always a lot of tracks and details that we can add and things that can get buried and there's all this this thing that happens when you add a bunch of samples and these cool melody lines i mean you skirt the line of overdoing it that's something we're always con- you know conscious of but a lot of a lot more beauty happens when these strange patterns and sort of relationships start to exist between these sounds that you couldn't intend for which is when you have more layers they interact in a way like a kaleidoscopic way that you couldn't really intentionally make and so mm-hmm. it's cool even for us i mean we can listen back and be like oh it's like what is that layer i forgot about right. that one yeah, yeah. you know and i think that's something our audience has really appreciated is going back through some of the songs like oh i never noticed this sample here of this thing happening or this melody line i'm hearing again really for the first time because it was kind of buried and now i after listening to it for the third time you know i, I heard it that's something we really enjoy doing. Layers and music, I love that aspect of, especially the, the Underbelly album. Really cool sounds, yeah, especially like after listening to them a couple of times. I definitely noticed a couple of things, like there was some piano stuff, there was unique synths at the end of like of some tracks. They were all really cool to listen to. You gave like a sense of a world you guys built, a different world that I'm stepping into when I'm listening to this album. Uh, great. That's great, man. Yeah, it's all about building the world. That's yeah. very much something we try to, to accomplish, to trans- yeah. transport, you know, and create a space where you can kind of sit in for an extended period of time. Yeah, it's all really nice to listen to. So, Kyoto is a band that started out in Denver and is not touring nationally in the U.S. You have hundreds of thousands of listeners on Spotify and are definitely a prominent name in the local scene and beyond. For many young Denver artists and musicians starting out and hoping to get established in the music industry, it would be great to hear about your path and experience as a band and how you got to where you guys are today and potentially any advice uh, you may have for our aspiring artists. Uh, I guess the, the first thing that I'd say is just don't ever stop. You know, I can't tell you how many people 
I have met that have told me like, oh, I used to play piano when I was 18 and then, you know, I went to school or whatever and I stopped and I never picked it back up again. I wish I had. I mean, for me, my just main advice is just keep going. It, you know, yeah. and if you write a write a bad song, you don't like it, that's fine. That's part of the process. Just, yeah. just write another one. Yeah, you know? I would say write a lot. Record everything and write a lot. And I think, you know, the uniqueness of your style comes out the more that you sort of commit to just being consistent about it. And, you know, and try and have fun with it, too, because you're trying to capture that kind of vulnerable place of looking for the right note or looking for the right sound, and you want the listener to be in that headspace as well. I would say just keep doing it. Get used to playing live. I like to think of it, too. It's like, what are they, you know, what are people getting from listening to your music that they can't get in other places, right? It's like writing stuff that you feel has is worth being said. It's not like everything you do has to be utterly unique or anything. And that's, you know, because you don't want to go too far into the weird for weird sake thing. Otherwise, you have it's hard to communicate anything at all but i think if you you know are honest with yourself and sort of and make a lot of things you can pick and choose things you're like oh that's unusual and interesting and i like to look for those moments that are unusual and interesting mm. that create like an emotional space that maybe i've heard in the past but not quite in that way and i can build on it so yeah that and then you know just practice the live stuff a lot yeah. you know because it's hard to do I think well in music if you don't have a really practiced live set yeah. as well. And be gentle with yourself too. I mean, if you want to be at a place and perform in a certain way, but you're not there yet, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. just you you can only ever be where you're at. You know, so just keep working at it. I mean, I'll I'll stop and look at Chris sometimes and be like, I mean, for example, we we're playing in Chicago and we played to one of the larger audiences we played at since leaving Denver. You know, and it was a really mm-hmm. big accomplishment. And those be some times where it's like man, if we could stop and talk to the versions of ourselves from three years ago, like we would just be so proud of ourselves and our minds would be blown. And I think it's important to keep that in mind that it's the the long, the long journey too. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be lots of little meanders and detours along the way. Mm -hmm. So just be kind to yourself and celebrate the good moments. Yeah, that's definitely something I need to hear and other artists, young artists especially. We definitely hear the fact that you should keep going and keep doing it. But it's just like, you know, seeing where you guys are at, you know, definitely puts in an image. Thanks for, thank you for sharing that. Going back into the album, was there some sort of story or theme that was like kind of the driving force in the album as a whole in like lyrical aspect that is? So with the first album, because that album came out of an effort that I made while in Chile to write a bunch of short stories, Mm -hmm. there was already sort of characters I had in mind and different people living in different places or rather in the same city, but united by, I guess, the street dogs and by the, so there was already sort of a world that was built with Underbelly. It was a lot more internal. And I realized because I was writing in a room during quarantine, I think the inspirations had to come a lot more from, I guess, within and also from the kind of immediate experience of being in that period of time. Yeah, there is a world and there is, you know, a space there. And there is probably in my mind for a time, there was that kind of a loose narrative, but I think it's a little bit more thematic and maybe less Mm -hmm. narrative. That makes sense. Yeah, and I also don't want to like put too much out there of my own, you know, thoughts and interpretation too. Mm-hmm. I like to keep it kind of open. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's a more introverted album, and so I think one of the, the it was this funny kind of an accident, really. But I mean, the fact that it's themed with cats for you know the cats mm-hmm. and dogs thing, I mean, dogs are very social, and so I think the first album having that is a sort of important kind of thematic vehicle to tell stories like. The, the street dogs about Paraiso that wander around and know and meet all these various people in their different bubbles. And I think, you know, I always saw this album as being more like a cat looking, you know, seeing things around the room that aren't there. There's something kind of inward and mm. maybe vaguely psychological and maybe psychedelic about it as well. 
that's, I don't know if you heard that. That was my cat sneezing just now. <laughs> so, I w- yeah, I don't know if that's a sufficient answer. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. Honestly, like, I introverted album like i'm kind of an introvert myself so like it kind of it kind of spoke even more uh, along with that the fact that like it, it has its own world to it helps me resonate with it practically yeah. what kind of music are you making honestly i'm kind of exploring that's okay that's yeah. good uh, how do you i don't do you mind my asking how, how old you are i'm 18 now yes. okay Great. yeah when i was when i was 18 i was honestly covers learn a bunch of covers mm. that helped me a lot because that's how i think I was never, I didn't learn like, you know, theory first. I kind of learned it along the way because I was, I guess, forced to. <laughs> but covers are what allowed me to like, you know, if I wanted to go somewhere in a song and I had a familiarity with the feeling that would be evoked or had been evoked in a song that I knew, if you have a library of songs that you play regularly, like making those leaps in your own songwriting is easier because you have the tools. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way of figuring out like, what's what's your voice? You know, Will and I have talked about this stuff as well, like, the idea of like curation music is being a kind of active curation because old folk songs and also a lot of songs from South America. I think it's just a tradition and surely a ton of music from different cultures. So, like there are songs that don't have a necessary, you know, owner um, or an author, um, different versions, but have been, you know, covered by so many artists over the years. But it's in that act of like playing those songs again, they give it a very personal stamp, their own kind of personal voice and, I think it's a really good way of discovering sort of, well, what does my voice sound like? And what, you know, what do I like to play? And how can I add little weird flourishes? And what, where is my own interpretation happening inside of this learning, you know, of these songs? And how can I apply that into other things that I write later? And whenever I've tried to directly a cover a song and do it exactly like it, I can't. Because I'm, right. I'm not good enough. So it just comes out my own way. Yeah. You know? That's some great advice, honestly. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'll definitely take that Ooh. to heart. How was your first tours compared to your more recent tours? Has touring been really an essential part of growing as a band? Yeah, I think so. The live component has always been a really essential part. There's a lot of ways, I think, to do music nowadays. You can be, you know, obviously like a sync artist where you make music for, for films or you can just only do like streaming stuff or be like a just a live band and I think we've sort of landed somewhere between the streaming and live thing just because they're both such important parts of the experience for us but I think this tour was great it was definitely our most attended tour of all the ones we've done the mm-hmm. attendance is like double it was wild the, the growth which is that was really cool to see because you know touring is hard it's a long I mean it's fun it can be a lot of fun you're with this group of people that are very tight-knit and the highs are very high and the lows can be low and it's an intense experience and there's very very little downtime especially on this last one because we had so many shows so close together that it was basically you know show up at sound check get an hour off to eat play the show drive for an hour and a half get up the next morning drive for five hours go to sound check sometimes for many days in a row so it was definitely a different experience in that you know the love we got from the audience was a lot this time it felt really good it was our longest tour our longest stretch anyway that we've done like three and a half weeks, and, which is a substantial period of time by that last mm-hmm. several days. But yeah, it's an important part of what we do. And in some ways it's like parallel, but a little separate from the live or from the studio recording stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different process. And, you know, you're hyping different aspects of the songs because the dynamics of a live show are different from headphone listening. And there the music can evolve too. I mean, there you totally. can see the the flexibility of what music can be and how it can change from show to show, night to night. And uh, one thing I love about touring, too, is it's also a, a chance to step outside yourself. I mean, you're part of something greater with the audience there and with the band you're with. Underbelly was made so much in a room 
during quarantine to get out and to be in front of a room of people now and playing that song, I think is really beautiful and important. And then also when you're on the road too, I mean, sometimes you can be tired, sometimes you can be in whatever mood you're in, but you still got to bring it and play the show. So you also have to step outside yourself and be like, well, we have to bring it. It's also like an interesting thing to see like, well, what are you, what are you capable of? And it's cool to see like, see the band members rise to the occasion and like we have this section in the song called The Drunk where we have a, a, a drum solo, drum break uh, for the two drummers now. And I feel real lucky to watch them every night and turn around and they'll improvise something different every time. And mm-hmm. just to see what they can add or bring and change, I mean, that's just, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I find that inspiring that you're bringing all this to the audience and things like that. Once you start growing that audience, like you, you want to bring the, the best for them because they're going there to enjoy your guys' music. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's, it's about more than just us. You know, it's about a room full of people together. Mm. You know, what kind of experience can we all have? I like to step out of myself because I get tired of myself all the time. <laughs> I'm here 24 hours a day. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, good, yeah. we're lucky. We got a really good crew, too. Mm. So we can help balance each other out, help chill each other out, help giggle all together. And that, that's important. You know, as important as people that you jive with musically, you have to have people that you can jive with personally because right. you're going to be spending so much time together yeah and so i mean i, I feel real, real lucky to get to know everybody even better and spend all that time i mean it's like little family you know is there anything else uh, you guys have to say as uh, we wrap up here thanks for taking the time to listen to the album and you know do some research and ask us all these great questions yeah we appreciate that man yeah it's been great talking to you thank you guys for taking the time for this it's honestly great to hear how you guys have produced you guys' music and like going through the process some inspiring words for our other um artists to be trying to get up there in the world but uh thank you guys thank you guys for taking the time today absolutely man and hey, lo- long live kg and you we love kg and you <laughs> <laughs> they got a long great live kg and you <laughs> <laughs>